Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 47 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They lead retreats in some of the most inspiring destinations in the world, Cape Town, Barcelona, Bali, just to name a few. I did uh, Medellin in Colombia with them last year, and it was everything I could have imagined. Beautiful apartment, great co-working space, incredible community, and you get to be a part of their global community that they've created, and lots of incredible local connections connections and experiences. Go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan and they're going to give you $100 off. So do yourself a favor, beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I hope you're having a great week. I'm coming to you from Waiheke Island where it's another beautiful day here. And on the show this week, I have my friend Tim Matthews joining me to talk about how you can improve the relationships with the people around you, your parents, your family and your partner. Uh, I review the book, The Alchemist by Paul Coelho. And this week, I want to talk about speaking your big mission into the world and and how that looks. I've got a video coming out next week that talks about finding your mission and how to find what the world actually needs, what you're good at, and you know what are the things that you really enjoy and finding the intersection of those things to, to maybe find where your mission is and where your purpose is that you want to bring into the world. And The thing is, once you have your mission and once you have your purpose, it's important to start sharing it around wherever you can. So as you start sharing it, that's the way to start getting feedback on your idea. So, you know, at the start, we're a little bit protective. We have this new idea and it might be a a business idea or it might be an idea how we want to shift the world or, you know, create a better world. And so we're a little bit sensitive about it and it's a little bit fragile. So at the start, we just want to share it with a couple of people that we know are going to help us grow and develop the idea. So that might be a coach or that might be somebody that knows your idea and has been helping you work on it. You have to be a little bit careful with your family because your family can, that they know you, they're a little bit close to you so they can easily poke holes and everything and just say, well, I know you. What? You, how are you going to do that? That's you, you're not able to do that mission. You're just my brother. You're just my uh, son or daughter. How, how would you expect to do that? Which is unfortunate, but that's just how families are sometimes. So my advice would be to steer clear of sharing your mission and your, your purpose with your family initially, but just find some safe people that you can interact with. And then as you get more and more confident as the idea grows, then you can start speaking it out into the world more and more. Start telling a few more strangers or friends or people that you come across about the mission and the business that you're up to and start getting feedback. Hear what people are saying. Hear what maybe some of the the challenges they can see in your business and your mission. Hear what they like about it. Hear what they love about it and see if you can stimulate ideas and use that as a way to grow the idea. So don't be so attached to it that it can't grow. And that's the beauty. As you speak it out into the world, it becomes its own thing and it, it can grow and it can expand and it can shift and it can pivot And that's the beauty of it. So the fast track to sort of never having any influence or never achieving your mission is just to hold it close to your chest and just stay at home and never tell anyone and just, you know, have your little quiet mission at home. The way to get it moving and the way to start stimulating it and getting networks and contacts and ideas is to slowly start speaking it into the world. So that's my challenge to you this week is once you've found a purpose or a mission or a business that lights you up, how can you slowly start sharing it out into the world so that it can start to take on a life of its own and grow? 
And my book review this week is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. It's fast become one of my favorite books. And it was one of those ones where it was recommended to me and mentioned to me over and over and over again. So I knew that I had to actually finally get into it. And when I read it, I could see why everybody loves it. It's a beautiful tale that talks of a young boy, a young shepherd that comes across a king in Spain and the king tells him that he needs to follow omens and he needs to go after his personal legend and and explains all this different stuff. And so he goes on a mission to find his personal legend. The personal legend is uh, your purpose, the thing that you're put on the earth to do. And as we talk about purpose and mission this month, The Alchemist is a beautiful little tale to bring some of these concepts together. Some of the things they talk about in The Alchemist is that every man must go after his personal legend. And they must learn to speak the language of the universe, which I'll talk about in the quote. There's a a quote in there that says, a wise man knows that if he tells most people of his gifts, that they will laugh in his face. So it speaks to what I was talking about before. He also says that life is generous to those who pursue their personal legends and there's such a thing called beginner's luck. So when you start to go after a mission or a big dream or start that business you've always wanted to start, you'll notice you get a whole load of beginner's luck up front and things seem to happen and you know it's all very exciting. But he also says that before achieving your personal legend, that all of the lessons you've learned over time will be tested right at the end. So it's the story of the gold miner who's absolutely exhausted and, and gives up but doesn't know that he's only half a meter away from striking a huge piece of gold. He talks about uh, you following your intuition, your ability to sense, you know, when other people are close to their personal legend. And then he talks about this thing called the soul of the world. And that's the, the quote that I love. It says, the sheep had taught him something even more important, that there was a language in the world that everyone understood, a language the boy had used throughout the time that he was trying to improve things at the shop. It was the language of enthusiasm, of things accomplished with love and purpose, and as part of a search for something believed in and desired. Tangier was no longer a strange city, and he felt that. Just as he had conquered this place, he could conquer the world. When you want something, all the universe conspires to help you achieve it, the old king had said. It's a beautiful book, and it just uh, it explains so many of my beliefs about the universe and following your purpose and following your mission and wraps it up into a very easy-to-read, exciting story. So if you're looking to follow a big dream or start a business or go on a mission, then you've got to start with this book, The Alchemist. I can't recommend it enough. So on to my guest for this week, it's Tim Matthews, and Tim is a men's coach based in Leeds in the UK. He runs a business called The Powerful Man and does great work, and Tim really does what he teaches, which is why I respect him so much. And in this episode, he dives into his own life and some of the things that he's gone through and a lot of things that can actually help you directly improve the relationships with the most important people in your life. So enjoy this very personal conversation with The Powerful Tim Matthews. So for me, obviously what you're seeing now, the company that I have now, isn't, you know, the company that I've had for the entire time I've been building businesses. I've been a personal trainer, I've had a fitness business, this is like the third one. And for me, for a long time, um, I started, I came out of university when I was like 23, uh, 21, 22, started in personal trainer about 23, 24, and um, came across the opportunity to start a fitness business uh, when I was 24. And it was a pre and postnatal fitness business. Quite bizarre. All women, no men. Uh, whereas this company's all men. So um, anyway, started that. And, you know, back then I really bought into the mentality of the hustle, the grind, persevere, push, push, push. Because that was a lot of 
the messages that I was hearing through personal development, listening to audiobooks and, you know, getting my hands up, reading certain books and whatnot, it was very much take pride in the struggle. You know, the harder you work, the better it is. The harder you work, the, the more you'll, you'll win, the more pride you can take. And anyway, I followed that mantra for a lot of years. And I got to like, I got to the age of about 20, 27, 28. And I was about to get married. This was in the September of 2014, maybe 2013, I can't remember, a few years ago. And my mum and dad were about to put £10,000 down on the wedding. You know, we'd got engaged, we'd bought the house, we'd booked the wedding, all that kind of stuff. And it just, it just didn't feel right at all. It just felt, I just knew that that wedding was going to end in divorce. I just knew it. And at this point, about a month or two prior to this, I'd just been introduced to one of my best friends now called Tom Crawshaw. You may or may not know him. Yeah, I got introduced to him and he was working his business online, working from anywhere in the world, earning like 10 grand a month, impacting loads of people. I'm like, fuck, this is like the guy in the, in the magazines and then on the internet that I've been looking at. This is one of those guys. Wow, he's doing it. You know, why, why am I not able to do that? Why is, why is my life such a struggle? And why do I constantly feel like all I'm doing is putting out fires and attracting problem clients? And it really got me to start reflecting and looking back at why my life was the way it was. And this was about a month or two before the wedding, like I said. And at this point, it was a real fork in the road was this, because if my mum and dad hadn't have been putting that £10,000 down on the wedding, I don't know where I'd be right now. If it was my money, would I have gone through with it? You know what? I think I probably would. I would have been willing to waste my money and waste my time because that's how I viewed things back then. That's where my self worth was at. But long story short, how long were you in the relationship for? Seven years. Long story short, I cancelled the wedding, uh, ended the relationship, didn't move into the house, and I really started to look at why you know my life was like I said, this stress, struggle, and sacrifice. The fitness business, I wasn't charging. I was attracting problem clients. I was taking on. I was taking on problem clients, and then. Throughout my life, I'd either cheated on women, I'd taken drugs. There was just this pattern of constant neediness to try and prove that I was worthy and I wanted to fit in and I'd get acceptance. And anyway, I traced it, I traced it back and it all started when I was seven years old and the relationship between my father and I and how I'd reinforced that throughout my life. And, you know, that's how I eventually got to this point of being 28 years old and just realizing that, fuck. <laughs> hustling and persevering is only getting me more hustling and persevering and that's when I went and just started to change things and it was the simplest of changes just to follow what felt right because for my entire life I'd gone against my gut instincts I'd ignored it because I was afraid of it I was afraid of being seen I was afraid of being heard and yeah when I made all the changes all the changes happened over about six to twelve months Got rid of the fitness business, well, changed it massively, ended that relationship, moved back in with my parents to sort to kind of get stability and changed a few other things in my life. And it was all based on that one rule of just doing what feels right, you know, keeping it simple and following my gut instinct. And the, the seven-year-old relationship with your father, what was that about? So basically, I grew up in a household whereby, you know, mum and dad were amazing people. You know, I love my dad dearly, I love mum dearly, we're much closer now than we used to be. But anyway, when I grew up, it was very much a household of you will fear your father and wait till your father comes home. And it was very much uh, commanding respect versus earning respect, very much like an authoritarian ruling, just because that's what he'd experienced when he was growing up. So anyway, I used to 
I didn't really get to see my dad a great deal during the week because he worked a lot and worked away a lot and, and whatnot. So on a weekend, we used to go and practice football or soccer if you're American. And this one week, I was playing in a primary school uh, football match. And I scored four goals and I was like, fuck, yes, I can't wait to get home and tell my father. He's going to be so proud of me. And I was like, I was just excited to get home. And I was rehearsing it in my head thinking like, I was nervous, but I was thinking, wow, this is going to be my moment. You know, my, it's, this was a big deal for me. So anyway, I waited for him to get home. It must have been an hour or two later. As soon as he walked through the door, I jumped off the sofa, came in, went upstairs, got a shower, come down, went to the kitchen, got a beer, and came into the living room and sat in his chair like all dads do. All dads have a chair, don't they? Sat in his chair, and I went to go put the TV on. I went to go stand in front of him and tell him about these goals, and I don't even think I got through the first or the second one. He just did this movement with his hand to just move me out of the way, obviously to see the TV, and I just... I just remember this massive heaviness coming over me. Because at that point, I never really felt like my voice mattered anyway. I never really felt like I could speak my voice. I never really felt like I could be who I wanted to be because it was very much a fear-based household. And to be fair, I then looked for ways to reinforce that belief all my life. The belief wasn't good enough. So when my sister, who's seven years older than me, she went traveling when she was like 18, I believe that was because of me. She didn't want to be around me. And when I get older, I cheat on girls because I'd always want to prove my worth to the guys by being able to get the girl that they all wanted. And then I took too many drugs, almost died from taking too many drugs because I wanted to fit in and be accepted. And then going to my mid-20s, I got into that relationship, which was for seven years, and that was a pretty abusive relationship. And then it ended up with fitness business, and it all rolled into that point of meeting my friend. And that's when I started to just wake up to, wow, like, where has this come from? Why is my life like this? How have I created this? And luckily, since then, I've been able to heal the relationship with my father and massively different dynamic. But for the first 28 years of my life, I can remember I just never used to feel like I could be me in front of my own family. It was a really odd, strange, awful feeling. Awful feeling. Yeah. As you go through your teenage years, you sort of transition into manhood. What does that look like for you with that kind of setup? Again, at home, it's, it was still that kind of fear-based mentality. So I didn't ever feel like I could be me still. And at the same time, I'd then go out and I'd drink as a teenager, take drugs. And, you know, some of the, don't get me wrong, sometimes I had a good time. You know, I was young and I was just, you know, letting off steam, having fun. I'm not endorsing that. But at the same time, it got to a point where I was very much following the crowd and wanting to fit in and wanting to be accepted because I didn't want to feel that rejection. I didn't want to feel, looking back, I didn't know this at the time, but I didn't want to feel unworthy and not good enough because that's the feeling I've been running from my entire life because that's what I'd known from when I was younger. And um, when I moved back home with my parents after I ended that relationship and cancelled the wedding and stuff, that was like in the September time. It got to like the Easter of the following year. And one evening, the bedroom door was open. I could hear my dad talking. He was just talking shit to my mum downstairs. And this was the type of thing I'd grown up with a lot. And I never felt like I could say anything. And my dad used to drink quite a bit. And he came upstairs and he was stood up in his doorway and he sat across the landing. Um, Make sure you take those fucking dogs out before you go to bed. And I'm like, do not speak to me like that. And he's like, I will speak to you however I want. You're under my roof. Make sure you take those fucking dogs out before you go to bed. I said, do not speak to me like that. And he repeated himself. I repeated myself. I stood up in my doorway. He was stood in his. He exchanged it back and forth a little bit. I said, fine, well, if you don't like it, get your bags and leave. So 
fine, okay. And my bags went downstairs, sat with my mum, made sure she was all right. And then um, the next day I was actually meeting my uncle, my dad's eldest brother. It was prearranged. And when I met him, I just told my uncle exactly what my dad had been like. How it was to me, how it was to my sister, to my mother. And I had my, my mum get on the phone, I'd heard confess everything to my uncle. My sister got on the phone, I'd heard confess everything. And I just dropped my uncle off at my dad's house and let him go confront him. And um, I can remember my dad ringing me and ringing me and ringing me like a couple of hours later. I just, didn't, I just did not want to speak to him. I just had enough. This was me drawing a line in the sand and being like, no, do you know what, fuck this. This is exactly what I've moved away from by ending that relationship. It's exactly what I've moved away from by ending some bad business deals I was in and bad business partnerships. Exactly what I've moved away from by changing the whole business around so it fits my lifestyle and me. I'm not going to let this back into my life. This was like the last stone that needed to be turned over. And about a week later, I had two conversations I had with him that were amazing. The first one was the first conversation we had after my uncle had seen him. I just said to him, look, you know, you don't need to be in my life. I don't need you in my life just like you don't need me in, in yours. You know, we're both independent enough to be able to go on our lives without needing anything from one another. However, you know, if you want to be in my life, these are the rules that I, these are my standards. These are my rules. And I just said, you know, what's important to me essentially. So look, it's totally cool if you don't want to, if you don't want to follow those rules or you don't want to respect those rules, that's fine. You know, you don't have to. But just know that, you know, if you don't want to, that's cool. I also choose not to tolerate somebody that doesn't want to respect those. You know, I love you. I'd love to be in your life and vice versa. But it's totally up to you. It's your decision. And I'm not willing to keep coming down to your level anymore. Ever since then, it's, like I said, there was one other conversation a few months after that. But ever since then, it's been an upward trend in the relationship. This is so powerful because I, I read the book called Manhood. And he says in that book that 90% of men have... A relationship with their father they're not happy with different variants of that some you know no relationship to some that where it's just indifferent but only 10 percent of men have a really like powerful strong relationship with their dad and i think men in particular struggle with how do i this is a person that i, I probably just have to accept whatever they do to me because they're my dad and they're my family but yet i wouldn't accept this from anybody else in my life mm. so through the work i'm sure you work with a lot of men around this kind of thing what do you tell them about their relationship with their father how do you advise them mm, amazing question so i'll tell you about the second conversation i had with my father because that will lead into essentially about the one of the exercises that we invite the guys to do so a couple of months after that um, the relationship was improving with my father he you know it was everything was going well and somebody said to me, obviously I was, I, there was still some pain there for me. And somebody said to me, have you ever asked your father if he's proud of you? And I was like, no. And I knew what was coming. And I was like, shit. Because I was going to be honest, of course. I said, right, okay, I'll give you seven days to ask him if he's proud of you. Do you accept the challenge? And my mind was freaking out. But my, in my heart, I knew it was the thing to do. So obviously I said, yes. Like, easy, seven days, no problem. Got to day seven. <laughs> oh, I'm not done this. Oh. Got to day eight, and I was like, this is fucking ridiculous. This is ridiculous. How old are you at this point? I'm like, 29. That's um, tough. Yeah, and I was like, this is ridiculous. So, anyway, I went around to his house. You go through the front door, at least the kitchen, and there's doors out to the garden. I was cook, chopping some stuff in the kitchen because he loves to cook. 
and I just walked straight past him, hi dad, and into the garden. I was pacing around there, rehearsing in my head. Okay, I'll just say it quickly and do this and that. And every time I went to the doors to stand in them and ask him, I just froze. I've never, ever had a feeling like that. I'd literally, and I must have done this four or five times. And in the end, I just, I blurted something out like, look dad, somebody's asked me to ask you, are you proud of me? I was like, what? I just took a breath and I was like, are you proud of me? He's like, why are you asking me that? Like, just a yes or no answer. Are you proud of me? And he said, yeah, of course I am. Why? Like, because you've never told me. And he dropped the knife, came from around the counter, sat down at the table. And I just shared with him at that moment. Like, you know, that's that memory of being seven years old and what I chose to believe and how I chose to influence that throughout my life. And obviously he knew about the drugs because I was in hospital, but he knew about some of the girls that I cheated on. So I made him clear about all that. And I said to him, I shared with him my take on things. I said, look, I, I know that you've done your best. I know that you love me. And I get that you have difficulty expressing positive emotion as a family because you never got it when you were growing up. He just said, yeah. And then he just started to tell me about his childhood and his upbringing and the struggles he had. And it was an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. And in my opinion, those two moments, the conversation before that, the one where you know I drew the line in the sand, and the one that I've just shared, I really feel like they're the two conversations that shifted how he saw me, shifted seeing me as a boy to seeing me as a man. And how we're able to now communicate with one another is at that level. You know, if he ever starts to try and get out of hand or belittle me or anything like that, I'm able to just, you know, share that that's not all right and fuck up. <laughs> well, I don't say that. But, <laughs> you know, whereas before, I wouldn't have dared to say anything. I would have tolerated it. I would have feared it. I would have not been able to communicate in the right way, then he may have jumped on it. And, you know, there, there was a moment in that conversation where we've both just been totally vulnerable, laying the cards on the table and just absolutely being bare and being seen. It was an amazing moment. So one of the conversation, one of the exercises that we invite the guys to do, if I ask them, you know, do you feel like your father's proud of you? Not do you think, you know, do you believe, do you feel like your father's proud of you? And they often say, 50-50 say yes, but by the end of it, it turns out that more or less all of them don't feel that way. And if that's the case, then one of the exercises we invite them to do is have this conversation, uh, ask the question, because it often opens the door to a huge shift. It's, all it is around communication. So simple, so, so simple, but so profound. Because in that moment as well, you're facing that, uh, the source of one of the biggest self-limiting beliefs that you have you're facing the source of it and when I said shared it with my dad about uh, the memory when I was seven years old he never even remembered the day he apologised he was like I don't even remember that day I'm really sorry like, look you don't have to apologise it wasn't your thing um, you know it was my choice I chose to believe it and he was just gobsmacked by it all so so yeah and the second thing we get the guys to do is we invite them to do some primal rage release a lot of the guys often are holding on to either Either a couple of these or all of them. Anger, sadness, and guilt or shame, usually. And usually the sadness and the anger are, well, they're all usually mixed in together anyway. But the anger is a big one. So we often invite them to release a lot of the anger that they've been holding on to and storing for most of their life. And that combined with the conversation just opens up a whole load of clarity, a whole load of lightness, and a whole load of clarity, um, an opportunity to just create something new. 
I had, I had this, almost the exact same experience with my dad a couple of years ago, went through that same thing. And I would say it's probably the hardest conversation you ever have, but the most liberating, you know, like all those difficult things. Yeah, it was crazy. I could not believe that I could not speak going up to that door. Well, like, um, you become the seven-year-old, right? You become the seven-year-old yeah. with this big intimidating man in front of you when it's like, what the hell, I'm 29 years old, come on. I can deal with this. This, this is irrational. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's interesting that, yeah, I like what you said about, you know, you go from that dad-child to man-to-man through those conversations. And from what I've read, the other cultures and tribal cultures, actually the, the community or the dad would take responsibility for that rite of passage, you know, from boyhood into manhood. Mm-hmm. But Western culture, we don't have those rites of passages, right? So unfortunately, rightly or wrongly, we have to take responsibility for making that conversation happen. Mm. And I guess most people, I would guess, don't actually ever make that transition and they constantly have that kid-daddy relationship their whole lives and never get out of it because they never have that conversation to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, from here on out, it's man-to-man and Mm. these these are the ground rules. Yeah, I agree, man. such a powerful point. And I see it a lot. Sometimes... Uh, it still does shift from boy to man to man to man, but sure. there's, that's cute. That usually occurs when the child, the son, has children, and the, the father then starts to seem a little bit differently. Whether he's got the house, he's got a job, he's got a family. So by default, by those things, possessions and titles, he sees him as he more sees him as a man. However, because that conversation is still not being had. Mm. there's still unresolved issues in the relationship so the connection that you can have with your father is still limited because you're holding back you're holding on to things whether it's the anger the sadness the shame whatever it's like the elephant in the room isn't it the father knows that he's not necessarily been the nicest guy he could have been in the past he knows that he didn't do things looking back he knows he might have done things differently the son knows that he's pissed off with the fact that, you know, this one guy in his life who's always wanted, he's always wanted to be proud of him, he's always wanted to live up to, no matter what he's done, it's just never been good enough. So he's just like, fuck you. But they'll try and get along, which is, it works to some degree, but in terms of having a fulfilling relationship, a really connected relationship, it's just, it's very rare that that'll occur. You know, by no means is the relationship between my father and I, um, like, perfect but you know I think you have to let go of that ideal as well yeah exactly great point and I mean we're able to have a laugh a lot more now I'm able to prod him and poke him and make fun of his ways that used to maybe annoy me or used to take offence to now I see the funny side of them and yeah the whole it's just a fun dynamic it's just and I asked him recently I either asked him how can I be a better son or what is it like to be in a relationship with me Javon Langford, you know Javon. Yeah, he was on the show last week. Yeah, that question, how, how, what's it like to be in a relationship with me? That's when he got me to ask a few people in my life. Uh, I, I keep asking him every so often. Ask my girlfriend, it, you know, how am I doing? I always check in with her every few months. Sometimes she says, you've been a bit of a dick. <laughs> no. Um, I asked my dad it. And, you know, he said, you know, I, I love the relationship. I just love to spend more time with you. Um, so it's something I'm currently working on. It's on my mind, you know, to be having more time together. It doesn't just revolve around going around there and eating food or going around there and watching TV, you know, doing things, creating new experiences and new memories together. 
Yeah, I know, again, from that manhood book, which you know, is so much what we're talking about, he said, you have to take each of you out of your comfort environments. So if he comes around to your house, you're kind of in your domain. If you go around to his house, he's in his domain, and so you play by their rules. But if you take each other out and you go and do some activity or something or go for dinner somewhere completely separate, like neutral territory, that's where you can start creating those dialogues. Mm, yeah, which I yeah. thought was really interesting. Yeah, it makes total sense. Total sense. Yeah, we're going to go go-karting. Maybe yeah, this like week or next week. I'm going to take him go-kart. I don't know. Because <laughs> yeah. he always likes to think that he's... he's are you proud best. of me? <laughs> yeah, yeah proud are you proud of me? Wrap me off the cart. <laughs> proud of me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. And there's two other interesting things that you said that I want to just touch on. One, you said you got that hustle mentality, right, in your 20s, and that that comes from... You know, you think it comes from a, that sense of wanting to be worthy or wanting to prove yourself. And the other thing is, uh, you know, ending a relationship just prior to marriage. Like, those are two really fascinating things for me and really relevant to the audience. So I'll let you pick. Which one of those do you want to dive in deeper with? <laughs> um, which one am I feeling most uncomfortable to talk about the relationship? Let's go Yeah, there. good point. Listen to how Tim thinks. Like, that's how Tim thinks. That's why he grows <laughs> so much is because he looks for the challenge. Um. Let's see if it bites me in the ass in a minute. <laughs> Never. So what do you want to go for? And the relationship. Okay, relationship. So, yeah, how do you do that? Because, again, I think I might have even read some stuff you're talking about this, that there are a lot of guys stuck in that seven-year relationship where they know it's not the one, but they're also too far into it to mm. kind of end it. It's, both options seem scary. Getting married seems scary and ending it seems scary. What do you tell that guy? Thinking back to when I was there, and again, this is such a simple thing, but follow your feeling. And that's something I didn't do for so long. You know, the relationship was amazing in the early days. You know, I loved this woman so much. She was amazing. And she's amazing. You know, she's not the right woman for me anymore. But, you know, I loved her so much. And then it kind of, the dynamic of the relationship started to change because what I didn't like about the relationship is that I always used to get referred to as like being a pushover. ties into self-worth and at that time I didn't I didn't feel very worthy of things I didn't know that because consciously I was building a business and I was pushing and doing this and doing that so consciously I felt worthy because I'm going for it but subconsciously there was that story and that pattern running so yeah it got to the point in the relationship by about five years in six years in that it just because I obviously you get what you tolerate don't you you get more of what you tolerate and because I was willing to tolerate these things in the early days, it just built and built and built. And it ended up being quite an abusive relationship. And what I mean by that, just very verbally and sometimes a little bit physically too. Obviously, I'm not saying uh, it's not the whole poor me syndrome and things like that. But if any of her friends listen to this, it's not like I'm saying that you know she was this absolute monster. But in the sense of feeling like somebody was how do I put this, you know, suppressing you and, you know, just not, not lifting you up, the opposite to lifting you up, whatever that is, you know, in an abusive relationship, usually that's the kind of dynamic, isn't it? You want to put you down and keep you there so that you almost feel like you can't get out. I don't know whether she knew she was doing that. I don't know if it was a conscious thing within her. But the amount of time she was, she was a nurse and she used to work shifts. 
So the amount of times that, you know, it'd be Wednesday night, but I was a personal trainer back then and had a fitness business, so I had clients during the week. So the amount of times her weekend was a Tuesday and a Wednesday and she would want to stay up until 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. and she'd be getting drunk and doing this and doing that. I really want to, sometimes I'd do it with her because, you know, I'd want to spend time with her and see her. But other times I wouldn't because obviously I had a business to run the following day at 6 a.m. And that kind of dynamic just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And the more that I said no and the more that I started to choose myself, the more I got punished for choosing myself because she had her own issues too. So the more I chose myself, the more that she felt rejected. So it was, you know, it was a crazy dynamic. And, you know, what would I say to the guy that is in that position? For me, I was very scared of, I felt like nobody else would want me. I never admitted this to myself at the time. But that thought, I remember that thought going, that fear, whenever I felt, uh, thought about leaving her or ending the relationship, that was a thought that always went through my head, well, nobody else would want me. And it was only a fleeting thought, and then I'd just power through, and then I'd continue going. But it was always that thought that kept me coming back and kept me tolerating and kept me staying there. And in the end, the pain just got too much. The stakes got too high. Even before we got engaged, I knew it wasn't the right thing to get engaged. I knew it wasn't. But she told me, you know, the source of a lot of her anguish in the relationship and her behavior was because she didn't feel like her life was moving forward. So if she was engaged, you should be on track with her life plan, if you want to call it that. So we got engaged, got the ring, things got worse. It was then about, you know, well, I've not got a house. So I've got a house. Things continue to get worse. We've not booked the wedding. But the wedding, things continue. To, it was never ending. And then one night, one of her friends came around helping us to move out of the apartment and move the things across to the house. And a friend saw how she was being with me. And the friend the following morning was like, wow, I can't believe she was been like that last night. You know, I've never seen that side of her. And I'm like, that was like a five out of 10. That was like a five out of 10, what you saw, right? And the reason why you've never seen that side of her is because if you did see that side of her, you wouldn't be a friend. You know, for me, that's the type of stuff I've been living with for the past two years. And she's like, no, it's not. Don't be silly. All those things. I was driving across Leeds to the house that we just bought to move into there. And I was just like, I can't do it. I can't move in. And a friend was like, oh, don't be silly. You've just had an argument. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't move in. I can't do it. I can't do this. And I remember dropping my stuff off at the house. And I just knew that I was walking away from there, never, either never to go back or never to move in. And like I said, I think one of the key factors was my mum and dad putting the money down. The thought of those guys wasting their money was just something I couldn't do. So yeah, well, again, what advice would I give to that guy? Don't leave it too late. It's never too late. And just honour yourself and honour your feeling. Because for me, it's very difficult to save a lot of business, save a lot you know, big potential that you want to fulfill and serve the world and do all those amazing things. You're going to struggle to fulfill that. You're going to massively, massively struggle to have your business and, the, and your impact in this world be at the level you know that it's capable and worthy of being if outside of your business you tolerate and sacrifice it in a place where it means the most to you. You know, if your business is important to you and you, this is happening in your personal life, then don't fool yourself into thinking that you can achieve all you want whilst that's that going on because it's it's very likely that you won't so just honor yourself honor your standards follow the feeling and just take it one step at a time 
I didn't have a clue where I was going to end up. I just knew that moving out, say no to the house first, and then I said no to the wedding, and then I just stayed, I just stayed strong and true to myself, just one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time. And, you know, it worked out. So I hear something similar to with your dad. You, you said the phrase, there were, there were some certain standards that I was unwilling to go below, or the certain things I was unwilling to tolerate for myself anymore. And it sounds like, that was part of the growth in your relationship as well. It was like, look, I don't need to tolerate these kind of things anymore. And it's kind of a sign of self-love and, and self-worth. Yeah, exactly, man. It was standards. Standards. I, I don't know whether, looking back, if I think about my standards and think about lean, being laid back, I don't know whether there were, me being laid back was the fact that I just had low standards. I'd tolerate stuff. I think there probably was a relationship between those two things, if I'm honest. But yeah, standards. Uh, my standards, it's strange because all, whenever I speak about this, my friends just think I'm a liar. They think I'm crazy. <laughs> because, you know, on the outside, my standards look to be so high. I say this to them, I said, I said this to them before, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You know, people, people only show you what they want you to see, don't they? For me at that point, you know, because I was striving and pushing and doing this, but behind all of that front, man, I was in pain. I was lost. Yeah, and that's another interesting point about comparing what things look like on the outside to what people are actually going through on their inside. Mm, exactly. Difference. Exactly. Huge difference. So the fear of, will anybody else ever love me? Or I guess it's a fear of loneliness in the end. Do you have any advice to how to confront that? Yeah, learn to love yourself first. I didn't love myself back then. I didn't. I kind of did consciously, but my self-talk and, my actions and, you know, they all said something massively different. And when you learn to love yourself, and I know it sounds so cliche and all the rest of it, but there is a reason why it sounds cliche because it's true. You've heard it so many times because it's true. And when you learn to love yourself first, what then happens is you shift, you shift your standards. You, you no longer tolerate things that you, you don't want to tolerate, you know, as a result, you start to become attractive to other people. And you, you said at the start, codependent relationship. You get into a, co- a relationship where you co-create, you know, where one plus one equals 11 instead of two because you have two whole individuals coming together to create something together in and can, out of the relationship. Can you explain that like a little bit deeper because that's such a, a huge point what you just said. Yeah, so usually in a relationship, people like to say one plus one equals two. And that's usually the case if it's if it's in a codependent relationship. Like in codependent relationships, people usually get with one another to because the other person provides something they can't give to themselves, unknowingly to them or knowingly whatever. That's the dynamic. Whereas in a co-creating relationship, you focus on loving yourself, you focus on your own standards, you focus on being able to really listen to your truth, your voice, and follow your feeling one step at a time then you start to heal the, the pain of the past. You start to let go of the anger, the sadness, the guilt, the shame that you may have been feeling, and you really start to accept and allow all that you are to shine through and be every day. So when you're in that space, you're obviously creating amazing things in the world, professionally, personally. And when you meet another person that's like that, you come together purely out of love for the energy that you, you guys have. 
maybe the memories you create, maybe the love that you have, the laugh that you have, the sex that you have, whatever it is. But outside of the relationship, you two are so content, happy, strong, independent to be going on and creating things outside of the relationship in your own businesses, your own lives, your own health, whatever, that when you come together, you're also choosing to create something in here, a home, a house, a family, whatever. But you've also got your own lives outside of it. So you decide to co-create. There's no, there's no dependence on one another. And that's why one plus one equals 11. You know, you're standing alone, you're, boom, you're there. Yeah, it's exponential. Yeah. Exponential possibility. I remember somebody asked me once, they were like, what's the point of being in a relationship? Like, why even do it? And I thought, man, that is a really good point. It's because you think that life would be better together with someone than it would be on your own. Mm. Yet I see so many relationships where it looks like they're suffering together, <laughs> you know, that life is harder together. And it's like, well, what's the point? Like, why, why even be in a relationship? By definition, being in a relationship means that you can create more and be more and love more and experience more with somebody else than you could if you're alone. Mm. And I think we just forget that sometimes. Yeah. I mean, Amelia and I, so we're not the same people we were when we met. We're just not. And if we don't check in with each other on what it is we desire, what we want to create together, what we want to create outside of the relationship and, you know, allow that to evolve, then what can sometimes happen in my experience is you stay thinking that you've got with the guy you got with or the woman you got with uh, two years ago. And you, you don't have your needs met any longer because your needs have changed. You've changed. So unless you check in with that and allow the relationship to grow and evolve, and I always believe you either grow together or you grow apart. You, you know, me and my previous girlfriend, we grew apart because she just wasn't, you know, for whatever reason. Whereas Amelia and I, we grow together. Because of that communication, because of that, the love we have for ourselves individually outside of the relationship. So yeah, in terms of relationship, what's the point? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, for me, I love the memories. I love sharing it. I love. It's so amazing being in a relationship with somebody that you can share things with, that sees you, that supports you, that sometimes sees things in you you don't see in yourself, and that you can grow with. You know. And that's the key thing, in my opinion, to be in a relationship with someone who also values growth. Because there's, there's two things that happen, isn't there? You know, when your needs shift and you communicate them, your partner then has a choice. The choice is, is one, can I meet those new needs of my partner? And two, do I want to meet those new needs? And if she chooses no to either of those, then cool. You get to have a different conversation. Well, what we're going to do? Are you going to tolerate this? You know, this may not be the actual conversation, but this is what will happen. Well, my needs are being met. Am I going to tolerate and sacrifice my needs and struggle and be in pain? Or do I get to communicate, you know, hey, look, I said about these two things and these aren't being met. Is that because you don't want to or is that because you can't? You know, what's going on? And you just get to have that conversation and it's going to open up a couple of options and really ensure that you need arm it with or without that person. So I love, I love you do this work professionally with me and like you take men through this in groups and one-on-one -on -one and I love your business and I would love to push as many men as possible towards your work because I just love what you do and I love how you do it. And even if guys just go and get on your email list to start with just so they can get <laughs> your powerful emails, I think that would be life changing for, for most of the men listening. But, Tell us about The Powerful Man. Tell us about your business and how it works. Yeah. 
Thank you, man. Yes, yeah, so Powerful Man, what we do is essentially we work with men, typically the guys aged between 35 and 45, entrepreneurs, and essentially what we do is support them to quit the chaos so they can stop sabotaging their success and grow the business whilst having more fun, more freedom, more sex. Yeah, we love it. We love it because, you know, for me, for a long time, I chased the money. You know, I often, often tell people about the fact that we generated 280k in sales in the five months without a website, without testimonials, without paid traffic. And people are like, wow, amazing. One question that they forget to always ask me is, how did you, how did you make it? How was the money made? Not strategy-wise, but, you know, with what lifestyle? And to be honest, although we were traveling the world, um, that lifestyle was, my business, my life was chaotic. So I like to take guys out of that space, usually guys that have got businesses, usually generating 5, 10, 15K and above a month. Um, some guys are doing seven figures and just really take them out of the chaos and sabotage. I'm just thinking of some of the situations guys are often in. And, you know, like I said, take them into this flow and ease. So um, we do that it's too. It's very, like, very easy for entrepreneurs just to pour themselves on their business and just become obsessed with it. God, yeah. It's a fine line too, because it's your passion and you love doing it. However, the amount of men that we work with that just don't put their needs first, that makes that constantly give, 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 end up being burnt out, exhausted, overworked, then don't have enough energy and presence to be with the partner, the sex life goes down, the health is affected. You know, they have a business that's generating money and impact in the world, but this isn't the lifestyle they signed up for. So what we're really good at is helping them to then grow the business still, but doing it in a way whereby every other area of life gets to actually be lived and experienced. Um, hence, quit the chaos. Because a lot of the chaos that's been caused is by the need to hustle, which is often coming from the need to prove themselves, the need to gain significance, the need to feel good enough. So we take them through three stages. The first stage is that, well, we deliver a program called the Activation Method, which has three stages. And the first stage is... Uh, they are set free with the truth. And the truth is detach, detach, release, remember and reinforce. So they detach from the stories that cause them to run, 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 hustle, 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 release the anger, the sadness or whatever, remember who they are and reinforce who they are. And they create with the creed. And the creed is accept, so that they accept they take 100% responsibility for all the results. There's no victim, there's none of this. They are 100% responsible for every result in their life. And they get to choose. You know, they ask themselves empowering questions to choose and create something different. And they decide and they commit and they produce with the pillars. So we really help them to bring awareness to, to what's been driving the beliefs and the behaviors to create the chaos and create the sabotage because they're constantly running from one thing to the next and putting out fires and doing this, doing that, up and down and yo-yoing and sleepless nights. Get rid of all that. And sure, there's still times when they, they, they work hard for sure, because they love what they do. But the rhythm to the life becomes so much more different, so much more purposeful, productive, fulfilling. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. I love it. Awesome. And you, you do that virtually. I know you're in Leeds because you've got a funny accent like me. But <laughs> how do you, you don't have to be in the UK to work with you, right? No, yeah. We do it all over. Well, we've got clients all over the world. Australia. The, the website to find you guys? Uh, thepowerfulman.com. www.thepowerfulman.com. Beautiful. We'll put that in the notes and in the comments section. And I know you've got to go on to another call, but the last question we ask everyone is about the dark side. 
and I desperately want to hear your answer before you go, but what is your dark side? How do you embrace it? What is my dark side and how do I embrace it? My dark side, I would say, is not that, that whole battle around self-worth and self-love. That's my dark side. You know, that's the dance I always get to do. It's a constant battle. Yeah, feeling worthy and unworthy, and which when I feel unworthy, I'm going to hustle and my life gets sacrificed. So, yeah, although we teach men this, I'm not perfect by any means. I'm on the journey. I'm on the path. Um, and That's my dark side, dipping in and out of that. Upward trend, of course. And I embrace it by getting back, getting out of my head, into my heart, back to my feeling and remembering what I really am committed to creating and why I'm doing it. And yeah, asking people around me, like Amelia, how am I doing? Asking my dad, how can I be a better son? You know, asking people around me how I'm, the kind of lifestyle I'm living and how what I'm creating. Awesome. Great answer. Tim, thanks for coming on the show. This has been an awesome, there's so many gold nuggets in this episode. I think it's going to be one of those ones people listen to two or three times just to pull out all the wisdom and little hints and tips through it. So thank you for being so open and sharing your gift uh, with us so freely. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, man. It was fun. I enjoyed it. We did awesome. it in the end. We did it. We got there. <laughs> thanks, brother. There you have it, folks. My conversation with the awesome Tim Matthews. Go and check him out, thepowerfulman.com. Subscribe to his email. Like I said, he sends out a whole bunch of emails every week and they're always full of gold. So go and sign up to that right now. Share this episode around on Facebook if you can. I would love you forever. And I'll be back next week with episode 48 of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. This episode has been brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They have incredible retreats all around the world, Portugal, Bali, Colombia, Nicaragua, just to name a few. I did Medellin in Colombia last year, blew my mind. A great bunch of people there, lots of really cool local experiences, beautiful office to work from, a lovely apartment. They organize it all, guys. So go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and I'm going to get you $100 off your first trip. So do yourself a favor, check out beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and prepare for one of the best months of your life.